0: It is a special edition bonus. We call it special delivery on daily delivery today. John Volk from the Star Tribune internship is not—it's not the correct um, official term, right? But you—you you are more or less functioning as an intern here at the Star Tribune for for the next few months, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, internship does—it does the job just fine. I'm, I've been uh, been floating around the Final Four these past couple of days, and. Lots of excitement going on here at the Target Center.
0: Yes, absolutely. Happy to have John here. He is a he's from Northwestern, um, so he doesn't know a whole lot about NCAA tournaments, Final Fours, uh, at least on the men's side. Cheap. That's a cheap shot, right there, right off the bat. But uh, just
1: a little
0: bit. Just a little bit. 2017, uh, you'll always have 2017. But uh, we're here to talk about the women's tournament, and it's we were both there on Friday night for the semifinals to competitive games kind of defensive battles in, in a lot of cases especially that uh, that second game between UConn and Stanford um you know what what kind of stood out to me John from from Friday and we'll spin ahead a little bit to Sunday's championship game here as well um but, you know one of the things that kind of jumped out to me from just being there in Target Center being in the arena walking around you know every school is well represented no no doubt about it but just in terms of the loudness for particular groups and who, you know, who the, the twin cities crowd is rooting for. Like UConn feels like it's kind of casting a shadow over the rest of the field, even though they were the only non number one seed in this field. How have you experienced that so far?
1: No, you're, you're absolutely right. It, you, you'd you think that UConn was in Minneapolis, was in St. Paul based on, the reaction they've gotten from the fans. I think that just speaks to how big a star Paige Beckers has become First, Hopkins high school alum Um, has really been drawing all the fans. Uh, One thing I noted um, during the semifinal games, UConn played in the second game but the team store on the like main concourse. They were sold out of all the UConn gear by halftime of the first game. The UConn didn't even play in. They still had all the other three teams. Paige Becker is still just such a huge star um, in the Twin Cities that it really has felt like a home crowd for her almost.
0: It has. I and mean, of course, they advance to the championship game. They beat Stanford. The final is 63-58. Um, South Carolina also advancing past Louisville, 72 72- 59 that one was a little bit more I mean right from the jump uh, if we can talk about that game a little bit South Carolina seemed like they were the more poised composed ready to play team but Louisville hung around actually took a, a small lead there in the first half but with South Carolina kind of too much I mean Aliyah Boston almost uh, almost got a, a 2020 double double I think she you know she was a couple rebounds short in the end but uh, what what a what a performance what a performance by her on, on a big stage.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody's really also that surprised by the result of this game either. I, I mean, South Carolina, one game away from being wire-to-wire number one team in the country. Um, and it's really been the defense all year long. It's the third best scoring defense in the country. Um, they just came out so poised, as you said. Um, and the, the pressure from that defense all game long. I mean, you had Haley Van Lith play all 40 minutes, was able to get – just nine points out of it. South Carolina's defense has carried them so far and it carried them through to the championship game. Yes. Yesterday.
0: Yeah, it did. And it's, uh, you know, the, the second game was probably more compelling. We obviously had the page Beckers angle. We had, you know, UConn against Dan for probably a more even matchup. I and mean, every team that makes it this far is obviously very good. Louisville was a number one seed, but I think once the game began between Louisville and, and, uh, And South Carolina, like I said, you could tell right away who was nervous and who was ready to play. And it felt like it was just kind of only a matter of time before South Carolina kind of went on enough of a run to kind of get that margin that put that game away. And that happened kind of in that early to middle part of the second half where they stretched it out to 15 and and Louisville just couldn't catch up. That other game, the second game, though, I mean, that was like, UConn wasn't really in control of that game at, at any point, maybe a little bit in the second half once they kind of figured out you know, how, how to exploit a little bit of, of, of Stanford and, and get them off of their game and you got them in a little bit of a foul trouble. But that, that game was, you know, wire to wire was, was very close, very, you know, both teams able to kind of take the other one out of some of the things they want to do, some uncharacteristic mistakes along the way. But, but that one was, you know, not surprisingly close because it was, you know, it was supposed to be a close game. But, you know, no team really even getting much
1: separation in that game. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms, and join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly close, but I think it was still a surprising game that I don't think anybody would have expected a 63-58 final score. Um, I mean, both defense is very, very good, but I think you think offense first with both these squads. Um, But, yeah, UConn down the stretch should have had Stanford right where they wanted them. Stanford hit that 1-3 midway through the third quarter and just could not get another basket to go. Um, But the Cardinals still keeping it within four, five, six points all the way to the end. UConn had a whole lot of opportunities there. And, of course, pagebackers, we find out, um, picked up a little bit of a new injury down the stretch of that game, but still, Huskies had them where they wanted them, and just couldn't quite finish them off until the very last whistle.
0: Yeah, it's a good point because I mean, it was Yukon looked like there were there was a three or four times in the last three minutes where I was like, okay, that was it, UConn, you know, finally put them away, and then there would be a a turnover, there would be something weird that would happen. And Stanford got it to two a few different times, and UConn you know, to their credit, made their free throws that never gave Stanford that kind of one shot to tie the game. It was always, you know, when Stanford had the ball, they were always still trying to get, you know, trying to chip into a four or five point deficit, like you said, instead of, you know, having a chance to tie it. But in the end, UConn does enough in that game. You know, you mentioned Paige Becker, seeing her live and in person. What was what was your impression of of her game? You know, even though it wasn't, quite the classic that you saw against North Carolina state. She still had I think, 14 points, you know, five rebounds, four assists, something in the, in the, in that regard, maybe I had the rebounds and assists turned around, but, you know, still affected the game had that steal midway through the fourth quarter that, that put you know, steal and layup to put Yukon up eight um, impressive to me, but I wanted to hear what you had to, had, had thought of, as seeing her, uh, you know, seeing her up close and in person.
1: There are, there are a couple moments from that game that stick out in my mind um, from Paige Becker's performance. That one, that steal to the layup is obviously one of them. The one that comes to mind first, though, for me, I want to say it was a little before halftime. Uh, she pulls up, looks like she's got a long two, right on the edge of three-point range. Don't know how she sees her teammate yep. behind her to her left and makes the no-look pass for a wide-open three, gets that one to go. The vision of Paige Becker's, I think, I think people people have seen the the full breadth of her game, um, but really the awareness on the court, um, the unselfishness as well to just let her teammate rip on that shot, it really stands out amongst already, you know, the huge athleticism and shooting abilities that she has.
0: Yeah, her her release is so quick. I mean, she's got that mid-range game, which is you know not so much in vogue in a lot of circles, but when you're so good at it, when you're so efficient with it, and she was pretty efficient with her shot on Friday night in those semifinals, it's still a good shot, especially when you can just kind of like, you know, dribble and just create that little bit of space. Those scores know how to create that little bit of separation, that, that, that little bit of space to get in your spot, to get that shot off that you want. And you're, you're right. That, that play that you mentioned, the one where she, um, you know, found her teammate where it looked like her shot was going to get blocked. Then all of a sudden she finds that open teammate for that open three. And then you write the, the steal and the layup and the steal was notable too, because it was right after she had committed a turnover of her own that she seemed very frustrated about Gino, RME, Gino, Gino RME, who seemed frustrated all night. You and I watched him kind of turning to his assistant coaches, turning to the players on his bench, you know, gesticulating with his hands. Like, what are we doing here? What's going on? What, you know, we keep making, you know, he was like why can't, why can't this be better kind of stuff? Um, they were all frustrated. So to great players have a, have a habit of saying, okay, I got to atone for that. And she did it on the very next possession to it, to, to do that was, was pretty impressive to me.
1: It, it was. And you you mentioned Gino Ariama there. I think something that also needs to be said about this final four in general is just the personality of the coaches. Right? And you see it right there in that, and that game between UConn and Stanford, Gino Aam the whole time pacing up and down the floor, giving the shrug to his to his um, assistant coaches, putting his head on the scorer's table. On the other side, Tara Vanderveer probably stood up one time in that entire game. Um, of course, everybody knows Don Staley. I think there's a whole lot of personality at in this Final Four as well that has really been exciting to watch and just kind of take in.
0: Yeah. Before we get to that championship matchup and those two personalities like you said Gino and uh, and Don Staley the coaches in that game got to talk about the halftime show for a minute because I jotted that down (laughs) in my notes um you know we had the the gymnast uh, was it Christian? was that his name I I don't mean to butcher it I think that was his name the dog was Scooby um so he comes out
1: Scooby's the one that sticks out Scooby does stick out
0: So, so he comes out and he's doing like all these like gymnastics moves they look like you know, like just these feats of strength where he's like, you know, holding his own body weight up with one arm. And you're like, this is really impressive. This is going to be the whole halftime show. This was the, this was the halftime show between the, uh, in, in the Yukon, uh, in the Yukon Stanford game. And then all of a sudden the, the dog comes out, the Chihuahua comes out and it feels like two completely separate halftime shows where the dog is like standing on a basketball and like jumping through hoops and jumping on this guy's back. But then he kind of combines the two elements where the dog is on top of him while he's doing these feats of strength. So, to me, I'm still kind of confused how the how all the act fits together. How the dog became part of the act? What was this? You know, it feels like two acts in one, but it, he kind of married them in the end. And I want to know how what you thought of, of that halftime show.
1: It was it was really something. I, I think I said to you, I, there were like five separate moments where I thought the halftime show was going to end, and there was just another trick up up there was. the sleeve. Yeah, I I've just I was so dumbfounded how somebody even finds out they have those talents. I guess you're a you're a you're a male gymnast who also really loves dogs, and and you just marry your two interests, and it and it turns into the halftime show of a lifetime. But uh, my goodness, what what a show they're putting on here at the Target Center.
0: That's like when people ask me like, how did you get involved in sports? And I say, well, I was a huge sports fan growing up. I played a lot of sports, and then. As time went on, I loved to write. Like, maybe you're right. Maybe this guy just loves gymnastics and he loves dogs. And he's like, How can I combine those two things into a halftime show? Like, how can I combine my passions? And he he found a way to do it. So I more power to him. It was very entertaining. There's a lot of kind of off-the-court entertainment that I, th- I think was, was on display. The Stanford tree was excellent, the bands were very good. Um, you know, just walking outside. You were out. You've been out at Fan Fest a little bit. That that's been a pretty good experience too, right? The one, the one over at the convention center.
1: Yeah, a lot, lot of fans, a lot of, a lot of young fans. Very early on a Friday, I think a lot of young, young kids getting out of school, coming with their parents down to the convention center, um, taking it all in. Little obstacle chorus kind of basketball challenge with the mascots of the four schools. Um, so big walls where you can write like a good luck message to your favorite team posters of the players to take some pictures with. Um, So yeah, this Minneapolis has really done a lot to make sure that this whole city is getting involved on the action of the final four. And I think something you and I have talked about, Michael is just how this feels like the first big thing um, for this city that this city has hosted since the start of the pandemic. And it feels almost normal. And the way you put it, it was perfect. It feels normal, which feels different.
0: Yeah, it does. And that's that's kind of what I felt when I there was a different energy in downtown Minneapolis on Friday. And I'm sure we'll feel that somewhat again on Sunday. Maybe, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the crowd is like Sunday because you lose two of these teams. You, you lose some of the you wonder, you know, if if Louisville fans stick around, if Stanford fans stick around or, or if they you know, if they bought tickets for the whole the whole thing, if they try to sell them to you know sell them to other people who are interested in the championship games, things like that. Uh, but yeah, it was you could see you know the mingling of of all the of all the different people, people you know from all, all the different supporter groups. Um, you know, there's some people definitely enjoying some adult beverages downtown and uh, and getting getting after it a little bit that way. But it was, it, it is it was nice to see that and not like we haven't had it you know there was some of that with twins games last year there's certainly been some of that with timberwolves and and wild this year as they've had you know capacity crowds but in terms of a big event where you get all these people from out of town you know and you know a lot of the tickets were local a lot of people bought tickets that's because they were interested in the in the final four but certainly a lot of people coming to town from all of these places that are very far away like none of these schools are particularly close to minneapolis and and they brought a pretty good energy so i think that was Pretty, uh, that was pretty cool to see, and I'll be interested to see how that um, shows up on Sunday. Speaking of Sunday, from what we saw in those two games Friday, um, it's going to be an interesting matchup because I, I felt like the UConn struggled at least in that first half to keep Stanford from scoring inside, and if they were having trouble against Stanford, which has good, which has some good post players, um, but but not of the caliber of an Aliyah Boston. How, how is UConn going to deal with with her? I mean, not many people can, but how is how is UConn going to try to do that?
1: It's it's going to be a big challenge, especially considering we still don't really know the severity of the injury that that Paige Beckers picked up. But the the UConn or the excuse me, the South Carolina defense has just been so strong all year that I don't know that I really see that inside presence getting going very well it's been the mid-range jumpers that UConn has really thrived on so I'd expect a lot of deep twos probably try and get some open three looks but I just don't know if the opportunity is going to be there for them to get some easy points under the basket
0: yeah and conversely they're going to have a hard time stopping South Carolina from getting some of those two because I think they're just size-wise South Carolina certainly has an edge and their perimeter defense is awfully good too I mean like you said they've just been one of the best defensive teams in the country all year. And, you know, to have that plus everything else they bring to the table should make this a really good game. You're right, though, the the Paige Beckers, the injury, whatever she's she's picking up and and dealing with here for this championship game, it's going to be a factor. And, you know, maybe it's one of those things that just adds to the legend if she's able to come out and have the kind of performance she had in that region final or something close to
1: it. Yeah, I mean, there is certainly just that, kind of aura of destiny around this UConn team, as we talked about at the top. They've just kind of overshadowed this whole competition. You think back to that that elite game, elite eight game as well, the double overtime victory. Um, There's just that X factor that UConn has. But I don't know if X factor is enough when you're going up against a team that has been so consistently dominant as South Carolina has been all year long.
0: I agree, but it should be a great game. You and I will both be there as well as several of our Star Tribune colleagues read all about the setup for the game in Sunday's paper and on StarTribune.com and certainly read all about the championship game on StarTribune.com and in Monday's paper as well. John Volk, thanks for joining me here on this special edition of Daily Delivery and I will see you on Sunday at Target Center. Thanks, Michael.